Det här är ett poddradioprogram från Studentradion 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradion 98,9. Av upphovsrättsliga skäl är musiken förkortad. In the field of human conflict, but so much owed by so many to so few. Utrikespolitik. Inga pajaskonster. Inte hehe. Hehe. Välkommen till Studentradio 98,9. Du lyssnar på Radio UF. And today, me, Isaac Johansson, will explain uh, gender inequality here in Sweden. And look at the underemphasis on International Men's Day and how we should raise awareness. Amanda, can you mute him please? <laughs> oh yes, I definitely will. <laughs> and that was a telling example of mansplaining. Thank you, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> sorry Isaac that we had to use you for this uh, <laughs> just very telling uh, illustration here <laughs> no worries <laughs> but as you probably understood uh, we will actually w- be talking about International Women's Day which was uh, three days ago <laughs> yeah sorry because um, we have a lot of things on the agenda today but uh, I will just start by you know giving you uh, a brief introduction to some foreign affairs related numbers connected to gender inequality where for example out of the world's more than 190 countries only 21 of these have an elected female head of state as of February 2021 and if that isn't bad enough 119 of these have never in history had a female head of state either. Sweden. Sweden included. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Sad, but true. And um, yeah, to be honest, I just had to introduce you to all these numbers as I think they're extremely uh, disappointing, obviously, but also very demonstrative for um, a fight that still needs to be fought. And that is getting women into leadership positions both politically but also in other um, areas, and I think that is one of the many reasons, one of many reasons why um, international the international theme of this year's Women's Day was also women in leadership and how women are um, also how women are affected by Corona, uh, and not to forget that is also Women's History Month. Um, So yeah, a lot of things to talk about uh, during this episode. And uh, of course, we in Radio UF figured that we wanted to have a look at where we're at regarding gender um, equality slash inequality today. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm not alone. As you heard, Isak is with me in the (laughs) studio, but we also have some other people. Do you all want to introduce yourself (laughs) Hey, hey, my name is Melina and I'm going to talk about the fourth wave of feminism today. Hi, my name is Greta and I'm going to be talking about my experiences growing up in England uh, as a girl and also how that compares to Sweden. 
And I will look a bit at the historical perspective of women in education, especially university here in Sweden and a bit abroad. Nice. Yes. And uh, my name is Amanda and I will talk a bit about gender inequality and where we're at in Scandinavia uh, today. And we also have Melker, which will probably be joining us um, later, talking a bit about uh, women and peace processes. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we will be back with more in just a minute. You just heard Doubt of Revival by Jordana and Ryan Woods here at Studentradio 98,9. We are um, Radio UF and today we're talking about International Women's Day and gender equality. And for a bit of a p- historical perspective, especially for Uppsala University, you can see that in Sweden, uh, especially since like the late 1970s, women has been among or the gender divide between university students have been equal. And starting in the the 90s, you have seen an increase in the amount of women going to universities. So, for example, today uh, Uppsala Universitet announced that they have approximately 50,000 students, 60% of whom are uh, women. If you look like deeper into the statistics, there is a clear divide uh, the, between the different fields where STEM is still dominated by males and then just followed by economics, which is about 54% uh, male here in Uppsala Universitet. But other than that, most uh, fields are primarily women. Uh, and that overall seems to be like uh, similar in the other OECD countries where women also dominate universities. Though women historically have been going to universities, it's definitely been like a class thing, because I remember once sitting on the bus and talking to this old lady who studied at Uppsala Universitet way back when, and she said, just like every other woman of her class, they would study language, which had been a common theme uh, for women, whereas now maybe we see a bit more domination in both education especially for elementary school teachers and uh, and healthcare. But then my question goes out to you guys here with me. How do you feel like... Wait, you... wait, wait, you guys? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just assume my gender. <laughs> Have there been um, any big differences being like in Britain and France with the perception or like talking about with university students? studying Greta? Well, that's a big question because unfortunately, so I never studied in a British university. Uh, I studied like many, I think, in France. Um, and there, I think it was just over 50% of the students uh, were uh, were girls. And uh, we studied, well, I think many and I both study social sciences. Um, but yeah, I would say it's kind of a similar a similar situation in the UK as well. It's just like in STEM subjects, which I was really, really pushed to do at school because uh, as I will talk about later, I went to an all-girls school um, and we were pushed to do science to the extent that they forced us. <laughs> I had already picked the subjects I was going to do at high school and they forced us to go and um, like meet people in uh uh, like nurses and doctors and paramedics, and they like forced us to meet them. And then they were like, "Oh, okay, so you're interested in being a nurse?" And I was like, "No, I study politics." Like, <laughs> I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Melina. You know? mm, yeah, I think it's the same in France. Like, 
we see that discrepancy between like uh, fields. I would say that engineering field is very much like male dominated and um, usually fields that might lead to like um, leadership positions, mm. management as well, uh, and so on. And yeah, we do see uh, an overrepresentation of uh, female workers in healthcare facilities and in um, yeah health studies and so on. Hmm. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what's interesting, I recently learned that, especially the economy, uh, economical incentive for a university like Uppsala to encourage women to uh, study STEM uh, is apparently that. They get like seventy thousand um, a semester, no, a, a, stu- a study year per student within the STEM fields. Whereas compared to like political science, it's about half that. So mm-hmm. there's a clear in- economical incentive to increase the amount of students in STEM field. And since it's already male dominated, an easy way to do that is to introduce more women. Whereas otherwise, unless uh, otherwise, if there wasn't like the clear economical incentive, you could argue like, oh, we could just increase the awareness for males to study other fields and encourage that to a greater extent. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting because in Norway, they also have these um, sort of you can get uh, you have your average score, like equivalent to GPA that you get from high school. But if you're a female applying to certain very male dominated um, stu- um, st- subjects. subjects exactly sorry then you can get extra points um, so it mm-hmm. will get e- be easier to get in and it's the same for some female dominated um, studies as well for uh, males so yeah it's quite interesting actually but I hadn't heard the one about you know getting females in c- to get because they get more money uh, mm-hmm. at universities mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. interesting yeah We'll, <laughs> sorry, we'll, uh, we will have some music and then we will be back. I think it's a really interesting discussion we have here. Uh, you're listening to Student Radio 98,9 and you just heard Gold Chains by Genesis Wusu here at uh, Radio UF. We are talking about gender equality in this episode and... Yeah, now we're going to focus, like we did before, it's even more on Scandinavia. Because, you know, Scandinavia and also the Nordics, we've all heard that they are sort of, you know, in the forefront for gender equality. They always get the best scores on whatever indexes, Mm -hmm. among others. Um, One I just saw from The Economist, which is called the Glass Ceiling Index, about, you know, how it is to be a working woman in different countries where we had like Sweden, Iceland, Finland and Norway as the top four. Then we had France, um, actually, quite surprisingly, (laughs) I think, in some ways. And then uh, the UK, I'm sorry, Greta, they were number 20. But (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I think the interesting thing about gender equality in Scandinavia is that, you know, we've come far, definitely further than Many countries, but there's also a way to go, which I think we should not forget about. And some of the thing issues that I still are very relevant for women in Scandinavia today is, for instance, about how, as we talked a bit about before with education, 
how females often choose, you know, their work have more like healthcare professions or other like they also work a lot more part time or have more like low skills jobs. And then this also really affects them during a pandemic when they're laid off or the Norwegian Trade Union Association just talked about, you know, how we see two different groups of women during Corona, the ones that are sort of overworked because they work within healthcare, they don't get any breaks, etc. And then we have, you know, the people that, for example, had part-time jobs that were laid off. They don't get the same, you know, insurances from the state because they don't work as much or they don't earn as, as much, etc. Stuff like that. So, yeah, it's definitely still things to Improve pay attention on. to. Exactly. I think that Sweden has done a really good job of portraying an image of being gender equal. But I definitely think that Sweden sometimes confuses being high ranked in gender equality with actually having achieved gender equality. I kind of feel that a lot of I mean, a lot of what you have, for example, with parental leave, that is really, really great. And it's not something we have in the UK. However, I do think that some of some of the way that's portrayed is actually quite superficial. Uh, and the example I always think of is the latte papas, um, <laughs> because uh, I, I talked about this earlier when we were discussing um, what we were going to say. And I, I, it remains true because I really feel that um, just because a father takes his child to a cafe and hangs out with his mates, that does not mean you have gender equality, because that is not the same as doing the domestic work in the house. You know, it's a good way of showing that you are taking care of your children, but that is not the same as what the wife is doing at home, chances are. And another thing I always think of is how in Sweden you have very high uh, statistics for violence against women. And there are reasons why that might be, for example, if women feel more confident to speak up uh, and the way that you count rape cases, for example, is different to many other countries. But uh, I definitely think uh, there's something to be said for the fact this is a country where one of the most famous books that you have given the world is literally called Men Who Hate Women. True. Yeah, no, um, I I totally agree. I think uh, even on on Monday, I saw posts that were like, do we really need um, a women's day mm. in Sweden or in Norway, etc., etc.? And that's also the problem with these kind of t- statistics being like, oh, we're so proud that we're doing great, that I think it's obviously good to have that statistics, but it can also give a wrong impression of sort of how willing people are to act and improve, etc., yeah. Also, I feel like we should also emphasize that it's allegedly like International Women's Rights Day, which is not exactly the same as International Women's Day, because I know a few people who are like, oh, yeah, like happy International Women's Day. Like we love women, but that's not helping the fight <laughs> for our rights. <laughs> True. And we're not free until we're all free. Right. So, I mean, yes. yeah. Yes. Um, but interesting, and we will also uh, move uh, on to um, France and Britain and uh, the st- status on equality there in just a second. We'll be back. Welcome back to Radio UF here at Student Radio 98.9. You just heard Get Up by Tribe Friday. We've just discussed a bit about the gender equality situation in Scandinavia, but now we're moving over to across the pond to Britain and then also south to France. But before that, we also have to introduce a new person to the studio. 
<laughs> I don't know if you can call me new. Uh, <laughs> if you've listened to Radio UF during any part during the last three years, uh, you probably know who I am, bragging a bit. My name is Melke <laughs> Um I started Peace and Conflict, and uh, I'm always happy to be here. Great, great to have you. But yeah, Greta, do you want to talk a bit about how it is being a woman growing up in the UK? Sure. Um, so I think in general, my Swedish my Swedish friends and I have shocked each other the most when we talk about our school experiences. And as I've already mentioned, in England, I went to a single sex school, which already will come across as very bizarre to a lot of the people listening to this. Um, but in the UK, going to a single sex school, although it's far from common, it's not particularly shocking. And when I was at school, our headmistress made out that going to a single sex school was the most feminist experience a girl could have. But lately, I have really been questioning that. Because for, whilst boys' schools have been around since the 15th century, their all-girls equivalents weren't formed until the late 1850s. Therefore, how can these two groups actually compete in terms of prestige? And while studies have shown that girls and boys do better at school when separated, isn't that just perpetuating stereotypes? Sure, studying together might be an added distraction, but it does teach girls and boys how to interact respectfully. Looking back, some of my school experiences were utterly bizarre. The only time we saw boys that we didn't know growing up was when the school arranged some sort of event for us. And most often these would be parties or what we called socials. And I remember really clearly girls literally screaming when the boys <laughs> from the nearby school arrived for a Scottish dancing social. And also now knowing adults who went to all boys schools is also quite revealing because they often seem to have no understanding of the problems that women face and regard everything from this exceptionally privileged position. However, there are many problems they also have in mixed schools in the UK. You may be aware that it is the norm to wear a school uniform in the UK. However, interestingly, a uniform was recently described by the Swedish school in schools inspectorate as a human rights violation. Hmm. Uh, at my school, uh, girls had to wear a skirt and were scolded if it was too short. We were chastised for having our hair down or for wearing a necklace other than a crucifix. Um, and one more thing that I think is very revealing of, of British schooling is that um, it's very, very common across Britain that girls and boys uh, don't play the same sports. Uh, for example, I grew up thinking that sports like lacrosse and field hockey were only for girls. And the same goes for netball. In Sweden, you probably haven't heard of netball. And that might be because it is a form of basketball that was literally adapted to be suitable for girls. The court is smaller and you're not allowed to run. Wow. Um, yeah. yeah. Boys play cricket, football and rugby. And so I really think that all of this kind of creates a distinction between what is acceptable for boys and girls. And it's extremely damaging. Go, But yet it goes unremarked and unquestioned. However, one thing I will say for uh, having gone to a single sex school is that it really did teach me to speak up. I've never, ever had an issue <laughs> expressing my opinion. And I think perhaps because in a room of only girls, I was never made to feel bad for being outspoken. Um, and I think it was only once I actually left school that I began to sense that women in general are not really thanked for giving opinions. And I do feel that women who express their opinions are often seen as aggressive, irritable, oversensitive. And people would much rather criticize the woman than her opinion. We're not allowed to be angry. And if we are, that must be because we're on our period, right? <laughs> Uh, and this one last thing, this really does remind me of this uh, Taylor Swift quote, which is, a man does something, it's strategic. A woman does the same thing, it's calculated. A man is allowed to react. A woman can only overreact. Uh, now, Melina, I guess you have some things to add about France. Yeah, but thanks a lot for what you just said, first of all. Um, all You're right. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I will just explain a few issues I faced being a woman in France. And we talked about this with Greta as well. And she said that 
she found especially shocking. Yeah, the recurring catcalling that mm-hmm. like happens in France. It's not the norm, yet it's normal. Like people don't really question that. It's like, oh yeah, of course, like you're a woman. That's normal that you get catcalled. That's annoying. Yeah, we have to change things, but oh, you know. Yeah. But the debates in French society or like among feminists nowadays very much revolve around like incest. There have been a recent liberation of speech around that topic that led also to debates around the age for consent. We have also seen like the recent breaking of the omerta around like sexual assaults inside like higher education uh, institutions such as Sciences Po. And we have seen uh, the emergence of the hashtag Sciences Po, which is like a play on words with Sciences Po and pigs, let's say. Mm. I would just like to briefly talk about like one of the means of actions I find particularly interesting within like French feminism. It's uh, feminist collages. So basically feminists uh, stick posters with shocking slogans in the streets in order to attract attention and reclaim public space and also render acts of gender violence visible. So like literally in your face. And I find that really useful and yeah. Yeah, no, thank you so much both of you for sharing your experiences. It's definitely very uh, interesting and educational to hear um, also the differences just across Europe. We will be back with more in just a second. Thank you. You just heard Be Sweet by Japanese Breakfast here at Student Radio 98.9. We are Radio UF and today we're talking about gender equality. But now we're also we've focused a bit on different countries and our experiences with them. But now we're going to move on a bit more to women in leadership and what that can mean for peace processes and also in parliament. Yeah. And uh, of course, I'm going to talk about conflict because that's the only <laughs> thing I know. Uh, the of- but the official theme of this year's International Women's Day was, of course, women in leadership, achieving an equal future in a COVID-19 world. And I chose to look at this theme through my yeah my field, Peace and Conflict Studies. And what better place to start than at uh, UNSCR 1325? So 20 years ago, the United Nations Security Council Resolution 1325 enshrined the importance of women in creating and preserving peace. And this is a broad resolution that aims to tackle all, yeah, tackle a broad subject, but generally it gets divided into four different pillars. Participation, which is calls for increased participation of women at all levels of decision-making, for example, negotiation, peacekeeping, and as political representatives. But also protection, specifically for the protection of women and girls from sexual and gender-based violence and conflict, and also during emergency situations. And prevention of violence against women through strengthening laws or conflict resolution efforts. And lastly, relief and recovery. So it's focused on addressing crises through a gendered perspective. And as you might have guessed, each country has their own approach to this and some are more diligent than others, while others focus solely on some parts of the resolution while ignoring others. And this is really important because a lot of the scientific field on peace and conflict have found that peace is generally more stable when you involve uh, more women in it, when you are closely connected to civil society and women's groups, and also that more equal societies are less likely to start conflicts. 
And the participation of civil society groups, including women's organizations, makes a peace agreement 64% less likely to fail. So this is really significant, especially since peace is so hard to reach in the first place. And still there are issues and obstacles. I listened to a really good podcast by the International Crisis Group. It's called Hold Your Fire. Please hire me uh, when I'm done <laughs> with my education. And it's specifically about gender and conflict. And But it's such a broad concept. And I think it's kind of like that with um, the approach to gender in general. Because this is like literally half of the population. It's like, yeah... It's like taking humanities and just splitting it in half. You're going to have too much things to study. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so I, I kind of like more discussing the topic. And um, I think it's an interesting approach with the whole women in leadership, for at least from peace and conflict perspectives. Because when I think leadership, I think the top person, the boss of, the boss of everything. But in peace negotiations, for example, it could be even more important to get the common person, or however you should call it, um, civil, important civil society actors and not just leaderships. Because we see that there's a lot of focus on um, getting women into peacekeeping, but a lot of less focus on like reintegrating women that have been uh, either fighting or supporting tr- um, fighters. And I think that is a kind of a gendered view on decreasing gender differences. So it's such an interesting topic to approach, and I'm really glad that there's so much focus on it right now academically. I did hear that when women are involved in peace and conflict and when they're involved in conflict resolution, they're actually very good at reaching compromises and negotiating. However, I wonder whether or not that's actually could also be considered to be a bad thing because it suggests women aren't aggressive enough, they're they're not assertive enough. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, there is a sort of gender look at it. And uh, especially we see in situations with uh, um, insurgent groups that women are very, very seldom involved negotiating from their part. So, And then you'd have to tackle the kind of base notion that women don't fight, which apparently is still alive in a lot of insurgent groups. Hmm. But yeah, I I can't even scratch the surface and I'm already out of time. (laughs) I guess we'll be back, right? (laughs) Yes, we will. But yeah, no, definitely a very interesting um, topic and also aspect of gender equality. Maybe we should make an entire episode just about this another time. We'll be back in just a second. 98% by Dark Sven here at Studentradio 98,9. We are Radio UF and today we're talking about gender equality. (laughs) And I think, you know, we've talked a bit about the situation in Sweden, France, Britain, also, you know, peace processes, education, etc. You know, I think we can tie all of this up to, you know, where we are now and what some also call the fourth wave of feminism. Melina, would you like to um, explain a bit more about what that actually means? Absolutely, absolutely. But first of all, we have to ask ourselves, what do these uh, waves of feminism refer to? Well, um, it has been argued that feminist history could be divided into different periods or waves, each placing the emphasis on different issues and means of action. So the concept in itself is a bit controversial and each period is not clearly delimited and so on. Yet I feel that 
This notion of waves can be quite useful to see the trends and debates that have emerged amongst feminists over the course of history. So now that we know what a wave is, uh, what is the fourth wave? then about. Well, that's the period we are supposedly in. Some have argued that there has been a kind of new feminist momentum, let's say, since the mid-2010s, 2010s. And this fourth wave has been very much influenced by Latin American feminist movements, in particular the Argentinian hashtag uh, Ni Una Menos movement. So the latter emerged in 2015 when the body of 14 years old Chiara Paez was found buried in her boyfriend's garden, beaten to death while she was a few months pregnant. And that grim discovery was coming just a couple of months after other super gloomy examples of gender violence had been disclosed. So when Chiara's body was discovered, the idea to demonstrate started to take shape. And because enough was enough, like thousands of people started to take up the streets, marching and shouting, stop femicide. And the movement also grew uh, very rapidly in the virtual sphere. Protesters were rallying around the hashtag Ni Una Menos, which means not one less. So basically, we do not want to lose one more woman to violence. And Latin American activists put to the fore key concepts such as feminism, Femicide, so femicidio in Spanish, as well as feminicide, feminicidio. So the first one, femicide, refers to the killing of women because of their gender, to put it simply, while feminicide was introduced to capture the element of impunity and institutional violence, as the European Institute for Gender Equality explains. So feminicide is used when public authorities' accountability is at stake. Going back to the feminist fourth wave, it was further spurred by the hashtag MeToo movement. So for reasons of time, I will not go too much detail here, but we can clearly make out one of the features of the fourth wave, which is the central role of social media and new technologies. The latter have had a great mobilizing power as they gave feminist ideas greater visibility while bringing activists together. Another aspect of contemporary feminism is the importance it places on intersectionality. So that means the necessity to link women and gender minorities' oppression to other forms of social dominance and exploitation. More and more feminists nowadays therefore call for more inclusivity and the convergence of struggles. So, for instance, anti-racism, anti-capitalism, climate action and so on. In its revendications, fourth wave feminism highlights sexual aggressions and exposes rape culture. Rape culture refers to a social environment that allows social violence to be normalized and justified, fueled by the persistent gender inequalities and attitudes about gender and sexuality, as uh, UN Women puts it. And so even though feminists, current feminists aim at addressing an incredibly wide range of issues concerning every possible aspect of their lives, nowadays we see quite a strong focus on like the body, with body positivity, such slogans as like my body, my rules and so on. And I think a quite like telling example of that emphasis put on the body as well as internal dilemmas feminists face is the whole debate around body hair <laughs> because you know shaving in a way means conforming to societal body standards so some of us i consider myself as feminist so i use us <laughs> but yeah some of us argue that we should stop shaving as doing it yeah 
means like accepting this idea that we should not be hairy or that uh, hairy is ugly, blah, blah, blah. Yet, like, what if we actually feel better and more confident without body hair? But then again, why do we feel better without body hair? Is that because we've internalized that whole idea that's like beauty and purity is not being hairy and stuff like what do you think about that idea and like do you shave or not (laughs) (laughs) okay do you shave or not the question we will stop here and then we will be back with that right after (laughs) the music break (laughs) You just heard Unity by Yuan Waters and Cola Boy here at Student Radio 989. Um, our episode has unfortunately come to an end here at Radio UF, but do you have any last words which ended at the cliffhanger about shaving <laughs> before the music? Yeah, I just wanted to tell you guys about my shower routine. Um, no, uh, what I wanted to talk about was how, in a way, this whole idea of shaving or not is kind of related to the idea that of what it is to be feminine, and I. I do think that in the second wave of feminism, femininity in itself was kind of attacked. And I think a lot of people have been reclaiming that lately by literally describing themselves as bimbos. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really interesting idea just to see that uh, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're ditzy and dumb just because you want to also look pretty and have an interest in fashion. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, to me, feminism is about or equality is about like having the choice, having the choice to be a bimbo or present yourself as a bimbo or not. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. I think it's about, you know, it shouldn't be like you can't be a feminist if you shave, but you can't be a feminist if you don't shave. It should just be like, you know, we should stop (laughs) judging people and, you know, really just you know, build each other up and sort of support strong women in however way they feel that they should be. Mm-hmm. Melka, you don't feel okay. like there's anything? Oh, well, I personally shave because otherwise you can you can hear me scratching my shin. Uh, so that's a thing. But uh, 20, 20 seconds, wrap it up, wrap it up. Uh. Yes, okay. Thank you so much. It was a really interesting episode. I think we will have a lot to talk about outside of the studio. We might, <laughs> we might revisit this topic sometime in the future. Exactly. Thank you for listening as well. We will be back next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Det här var en poddradioversion av ett program från Studentradio 98,9. Alla våra program hittar du på studentradion.com eller i vår mobilapplikation Studentradio 98,9. Att lyssna fritt är stort, att lyssna rätt är större. <skratt>